0: You are listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. You you ever buy a new car and think that you've bought the only, like you're the only person that drives that car or that color car, and then you start seeing them everywhere? You had that experience? You know, I, I lived with this—the concept of the book *Hope in Empty Places*—for ten years before I finally, before I finally got written. And it's amazing to me now. I see everything through that lens. It's like everything then pops up. Oh, there's hope. Oh, there's another hope. Oh, there's hope over there. So, so forgive me. I didn't pick Psalm 130, as, of the, a Psalm of Ascent, as our last Psalm of the of the series because it was one of hope. It just happened. It just happens to do that. Um, right now. And because you've walked with me this whole time, a lot of you have actually the whole time with that, with that concept of hope in empty places. I, let, me, let me briefly share with you some, what I would call three wins so far. So every staff meeting, we open our staff meeting up with, with wins. So someone is going to tell something they believe God did that week, kind of in the context of their ministry. So here's one for me. One, I have sent five books to friends from high school, in New Jersey. This last one I got sitting on my desk go out. is going to Hackettstown, New Jersey. These were high school friends of mine. And one of them, we we kind of talked back and forth on Facebook. And I said, okay, help, help me do the math. Were were you a, were you a Christian in high school? And, uh, and I said, I would love to hear your story. And so she outlined her story to me of finding Christ uh, in college and how she's been walking with the Lord and praying for her last child to find Christ. It was a, it's great stories to send five books to high school friends. That's kind of amazing. Um, the second is when, when Jean and I first um, started mailing them off, we took a, a big set to the post office to, uh, to mail, and they were going to be mailing to friends and other people that had the opportunity to, to share the message itself. Um, and some pastor friends of mine that I was hoping to twist their arm to let me come preach at their <laughs> church. And uh, we prayed over the books before we went into the post office. Well, we're in line, postal workers helping us, we're putting, you know, it's just I don't know, 15 books we had. And about halfway through, she says, are you a pastor? Now we've had no conversation. She's got her head down in her job. The only thing that would resemble the possibility of this being a Christian book was a sticker we put on the outside, says, Hope in Empty Places. And I said, yeah, is it that obvious? You know, I'm thinking, is my hair, preacher hair? You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, she's, no, no, it's not obvious. But, and then she starts writing down two names on a sticky note and gives it to me and Gina and says, this is my son. This is my granddaughter. Both are away from the Lord. And that we just prayed walking in, you know, over, over the books. And, and we get that conversation. Um, and then uh, this past week, a grandmother uh, bought a book and had me send it to her son in prison. And... Um, praying for God to break out hope in that prison. So I wanted to share this with you and that you can pray with me too. That this, It's not my message, right? It's, it's, the, it's the message of the gospel. You know, there's hope in empty places. Um, when, when do you actually need hope? Well, I, I, I guess technically we need hope all the time. It was, um, it was President Snow in uh, the Hunger Games, I think it was the first one, where he's having a conversation with the gamekeeper and he says, um, hope is the greatest emotion, not fear. It's, it's, you want people to have a little hope, not a lot of hope. It's the greatest emotion. It's greater than f- fear. So we want hope all the time, but we really need hope, it seems, when things are going sideways or they're take, they've taken an unexpected turn. Um, we need hope when the light is fading. Be- why? Because hope reestablishes order. In our life, it, it has a tendency to uh, raise our expectation. It reorients our eyes from looking around and looking down to looking up, right? So when you're scrambling, right? When you're scrambling to find an owl or something, you, you know you're looking all around. Um, when you're really downcast, when things are heavy, you look down, right? It's Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O oh, my soul? Right? Downcast, down. What does hope do? Hope brings our eyes up. So so we need hope, especially in times when things are going sideways, things are going in in manners that we uh, didn't think um, they should go. But I've realized there's a funny thing about hope is that when we need it the most is when we're in circumstances where we believe it the least. When we need it the most, it finds itself in places where we believe it the least. I have a, a line in my book that says, when God gives you hope, take his word for it. And 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 that came out of the Luke passage where, where um, the the angel tells Mary she's going to have a son, and she asks, "How can this be? I'm I'm a teenager. I'm not married." I'm a virgin, how can this be? And the angel replies, so we read it out of the NIV, the angel replies, well, nothing's impossible with God. Well, that's something to hold on to for sure, right? There's nothing impossible with God. But the better rendering of that passage is because no word of God will ever fail. That's how it literally translates. Well, I'm I'm an angel, I am walking in on behalf of God and I'm giving you this word from God. How can you believe this word from God? Because God's word does it. Fail. So when God gives you a word of hope in the middle of a circumstance, don't poo-poo it. Latch onto it. Receive it. Hold on to it because that's going to be a thing that reorients you, raises your expectations, and keeps you looking up. The, um, I never thought that I would enjoy studying and preaching the Psalms. I did it because I thought I had to two summers ago. You know, I mean, we had gotten into a habit of doing a book study over the summer. And so that particular year, two summers ago, I said, well, let's do a summer in the Psalms. Like there's 150 of them. So, you know, let's pick some. And I just loved digging into the Psalms. I just thought they were devotional material. And it turns out that there's so much deeper than that, that we have had second summer in the Psalms. So I'll give you a hint of what next summer series is going to be. Somewhere are in the Psalms volume three because there's still like 150 of them and we've only been through like 20. Um, but what, what one big takeaway I've got personally out of, out of the series and again, why the Psalms were compiled together for a nation in exile was this line. God's past faithfulness cements his future faithfulness regardless of present circumstance. That is one of the big takeaways for me over, I think I've preached all summer long except two particular Sundays in that, and that's one of my big takeaways. Um, but I want you to beware because if hope is an emotion and it's circumstance dependent in your life, you are going to live on an emotional roller coaster. How many people like you? You like you got. That's that. I mean, I would love to ride that roller. coaster. How many love you? Love roller coaster. You love roller. Co- Right. How many of you used to love roller coasters? Yeah, that, that's more, that's more, because I can't think of the last time I was on a roller coaster. Um, but I remember when I loved roller coasters when I was younger, it was like, they're, it's only three minutes, it's over, right? And you rush back to get in line because you want to ride it again, right? And then when you get older and you get coaxed on by a, a, a child or a grandchild or a niece or nephew, you're like, thank God it's only three minutes, right? And, 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 you know, the, the, the long, slow ascent to the top of the road, like you'll never, ever get to the top. And then you're there for like, what, a nanosecond? And then you're plunging down, stomach losing kind of thing. This, this, is, what, this is what living a life without hope in Christ will look like. It looks like, will I ever get to where I want to go? And then you get there and it's gone. And you're having to go over twists and turns till you get to another long ride up to get where you think you want to go. If hope... Is circumstance dependent and emotional dependent, you will live your life on a roller coaster. And it's enough of a roller coaster on its own, isn't it? It's enough of a roller coaster on its own. But hope isn't a baseless emotion. Hope is anchored in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our hope anchor. He is our hope anchor. Now, I love this passage in Hebrew so much, I'm going to read it to you out of three different translations. All right, here's the one that I would normally preach out of, the NIV. It says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul Firm and secure, it enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Hebrew writer is drawing our attention. To the to the to the one the day of atonement at one minute when 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 a high priest would enter the holy of holies behind a heavy tapestry veil with no seams to make atonement for the sins of a nation it happened once a year and the priest would go back there and do that what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is Jesus has gone behind the veil on our behalf. And he is the anchor, he is the anchor for our soul, that he is there making intercession for us. And what we know at the crucifixion is that when he said it was finished, his last breath on the cross that that same veil gets ripped from top to bottom. It wasn't an act of vandalism. It was an act of redemption. He is the one who removes the separation. He continually stands between us and God. He is our mediator. He is our high priest. He is our anchor. So anchors hold us firm and secure. And this is what Christ does. This is why he's our hope. He's not a fleeting hope. Emotions are fleeting hopes. He's Christ. He's our anchor. He is firm and secure. Here's how, here's, here it is out of the amplified version. In the same way, God, in his desire to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable nature of his purpose, intervened and guaranteed it with an oath. So he's saying, take my word for it. That's my amplified version. So that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who fled to him for refuge would have strong encouragement and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope set before us. This hope, confident, this confident assurance, what we have as an anchor, um, let's see, did I mess up? This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. It cannot slip, it cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it a safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple, the most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells, where Jesus has entered in advance as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, if you've ever said to someone, which I would not suggest this, but if you've ever said swear to God, this would be God saying, I swear to myself. All right, All right here's, here's the message. When people make promises, they guarantee them by appeal to to some authority above them so that if there's any question that they'll make good on the promise, the authority will back them up. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let it go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus, running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us in the order of Melchizedek. Hope is not a hype message when it's anchored in Jesus Christ, because he is not a wish granter, he is a promise keeper, amen. Um, so our text today is Psalm 130, 130. so that's a long introduction to get to our text, it is another Psalm of Ascent, I told you last week we did Psalm 121, that Psalm 120 to 134 were Psalms of Ascent. Um, uh, as Israel would make their way up to Jerusalem for three particular feasts annually. They went to a feast of Passover. Passover was a reminder of the redemptive work that God, God did uh, removing uh, them from Egypt. Then they went to the the, the feast of Pentecost. The feast of Pentecost was a renewing of that covenant of their covenant with God. So God has a covenant with them. They're kind of renewing their commitment to the God of the covenant. That's feast, the feast of Pentecost, and the feast of Tabernacles. They were going. They were going up in um, in in a praise uh, and offering uh, of, of thanksgiving for the harvest. Okay? So one was being delivered, one was being connected, one was for the harvest bring in. Three times a year, they made it up three times a year, they would have sung these, they would have read these, they would have gotten very, very deep inside of their psyche. They would have, some would have learned them as kids, um, free, and then, and then lived them out in exile in Babylon. Um, I got a text from someone last week after Psalm 121, and she said, Pastor, um, this, is the only, this is the only passage of Scripture that I can quote from start to finish, Psalm 121. My mom made us learn this Psalm. She made us try to learn a lot of other passages of Scripture, but for some reason, this is the one that till this day, I can still quote start to finish. We grew up and didn't have very much. Things were very hard for us as a family and we leaned on this psalm. Fast forward, I don't know, 40 years later, she's in service. The family is working through something very, very big and she said, lo and behold, you stand up and start preaching Psalm 121. And it just came alive again in me. Why? Because it had gotten deep inside of her and when she needed it, there it was. Psalm of Ascent. So today on Psalm 130, I pray that it gets deep inside of you. You might not think you need Psalm 130 right now. I might go through these points today and you go, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I got that one. Yeah, there's more to that one than what you talked about. But if you will allow it to get deep inside of you, you might pull it up when you need to be pulled up. Um, I taught us that through the Psalms of Ascent that we're on a pilgrimage. We're on a pilgrimage, twofold pilgrimage. First pilgrimage is to become, we are to look like Christ. This is a pilgrimage that we, 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 a daily pilgrimage to look like Christ. The second pilgrimage we're on is, is somewhat like it, right? We're on our way to heaven. If you're a follow Christ. This place is not our home, okay? So it's good news and it's, and it's better news. Um, don't get too attached to this place here. Um, I told you last week that heaven isn't going to be a better version of this heaven is gonna be wholly different. It's gonna be completely different. If he's, if, he's, if he's exceeded your expectations with other things going on now, believe me, heaven will exceed your expectations, all right? And so, that, so don't get too attached here now. The second one would be don't get too despondent now. Don't get too despondent now. This, this place is not our home and it is, it is a breath. We're on a pilgrimage to look like Christ and we're on a pilgrimage on our way to heaven and one of the ways I've been reading these Psalms is to show me more of the character of God. And if I, if I can understand more of the character of God, then, then I think I'll be drawn even more to God because God isn't just someone who does something. God is someone who is Someone. Okay? So, so when you lean into someone's character, then, then expect, you can have expectations of interactions because of their character, not just something they do or don't do. They choose to do, don't choose to do. They're in the right mood, they're not in the right mood. You with me? It's their character. This is what I expect when I come to God because this is his character. This is who he is, this is what he does. All doing flows from being. The same way with God. Here's Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being, whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. 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 He just said it twice. I said it four times because I can't wait to get to that point. Israel, um, put your hope in the Lord. Now he shifts He shifts, he's talking to himself. He shifts to Israel. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. All right, here's the first one God's character number one. God has an attentive ear and a discerning ear. An attentive ear and a discerning ear. I don't know how old I was, maybe 10, and I had the coolest bike in the neighborhood. Um, I grew up in a time when the curfew was when the street lights came on. Some of you did the same thing. So we didn't play in the backyards. We played in the streets. The streets in, inevitably are dangerous. Uh, not because of traffic. It's because asphalt is hard. And um, we, were, we, were, we were racing bikes on this particular day. It wasn't the most dangerous thing we'd ever done in the streets. But nonetheless, and I had the coolest bike. My bike was Yellow. It was a yellow bike with a big banana seat. Some of you will understand this era. Go look it up. Some of you are young. Banana seat with a sissy bar. So when you did when you rode wheelies and you fell backwards, the bar kept you from. Come on now, I'm preaching, and um, and I had a big I had a big back tire slick and I had a little front tire and I had spokes and I had the had the handlebars up here and we were racing. And, um, of course, it was pretty spontaneous because we didn't think about where the end was and how to stop, uh, really, because, and we're going to the end of the street, and then I'm starting to realize that there's a fence coming, and I, I turned and I hit a rock, it was a big rock, out of someone's driveway, and I went down, and I went down on my chin. Fortunately, I kept my face up and not down because I slid across the asphalt, right here, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm covering my chin, I got blood coming everywhere, and I walk into the house, and mom and dad are nowhere to be found, and I just went, ah, oh, ah, uh, and mom comes sprinting out you know, of the bedroom. And from that moment to when I had the stitches, there was like, I don't know, three minutes passed, right? Because this is what moms do. And, but she knew immediately my cry. She understood what it was. Parents or grandparents, you know, you know fake cry? We know fake cry. We know mad cry. Yeah. Not getting my way cry, mad cry. We know scared cry. We know hurt cry, right? And all of them, we do different things with, right? The, the fake cry, I know I love saying, even to your kids sometimes, I'll see them film a tantrum with you and I say, oh, that's fake. That's not <laughs> a real cry. Stop, that's not a real cry, right? Um, we discipline mad cry. We discipline mad cry. We comfort scared cry. We protect her cry. And so so what David's saying is, I I am crying to you out of the depths and you hear my cry. He knows our cry. Sometimes you think, God's not answering me because it's a fake cry. And sometimes it's a mad cry. And then there are hurt, scared cries. And I'm telling you, he responds to what he hears. And the depth between us and him is irrelevant. Let's talk about depth for a minute, because the psalmist is conjuring up the idea of Jonah crying out the depth out of the depths when he's in the belly of the whale. Now he's created the distance. If you don't know the story, go back and read it. It's a great story. It was my favorite story as a kid. I don't understand why. It probably had a lot to do with the whale and not anything else to do with it. Right? But sometimes God sends a whale and you think it's a problem, and at some time it's a help. Okay? That's another. That's another sermon for another day. But but he is below sea level. You know Nashville only sits 600 feet above sea level? Did you know that? It only sits 600 feet above sea level. The pilot knows it because he's landing here. Um, Six feet, 600 feet above sea level. So there's some depths and then there's some below some depths. And Jonah's below these depths. Heaven, we say as high as the heavens. How high is the heaven? So here's this depth. Sometimes we create this depth Sometimes death, uh, the depth is created by circumstance. But either way, whatever the depth, the distance you feel between you and God, whether it is circumstance or self-inflicted, saying, he hears your cry. He's attentive. He's discerning. He knows that cry. This is, this is the first thing the psalmist is teaching us out of this idea of here's our cry. When we cry, when we cry out in a position of sin, what I love in the, in the Lord, or in the, in the prodigal son passage in Luke, the father never closes the door on the son, okay? The father never closes the door on the son. The son has created the distance by his sin. All sin, all sin is a sin against God and all sin is a separator, Okay. So there's this idea that I sin, I make mistake, I, I, I'm still becoming who Christ has created in me. And then there are decisions when we just decide we're gonna do this. You guys know the difference, don't you? When you just decide I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna live this way, this is what I'm gonna do. That's being stuck in sin, all right? Well, it says when the boy got up, so that he came to his senses and he gets up, that's repentance. That's a cry of repentance. I'm getting up and I'm moving from where I am. And all these cries, the cry is a cry of ownership. I know, I know what I did. I know where I am. I know I am the cause of this distance. That's what a cry to the Lord is in that. It's a cry of ownership. I know, I know this is on me. He hears that cry. It's a cry for mercy. It's a cry for mercy. Don't hold this against me. And cries for mercy, when they're cried to a merciful God, and that's his character, Guess what? We get mercy. And it's a cry of repentance. I I need your direction. I want to turn around. I don't want to go this way again. If you notice, it's an interesting interesting way in which he writes the first several verses. He uses the word Lord twice in like three different sentences. And he uses different uh, Hebrew names for Lord. The first one he uses in each of those sentences, he uses the word Yahweh. I've taught you through this series that Yahweh is the covenantal name of God. It's the most personal name for God. It's God revealing all of these things that we would read about in scripture about God in terms of God being our banner and our healer and our provider, right? These are all these names. But the second one he uses is Adonai. And Adonai carries carries the weight of um, master. So he's saying, Lord, covenant Lord. And then he says, Master, See, we don't get covenant God without getting master God. Plenty of people want the covenant with God, but not wanting to serve God, that God is above them, that God says, hey, here, there. You don't get one God without the other God. And this works on both directions. If you can maybe, maybe have seen God just as the demanding, the demanding God ready to slap you down when you somehow deviate from his path, that's the master God, makes sense, but he comes in a covenant package of hesed, which is his ever enduring faithfulness. Yes. But if you come out of one, another context where, well, it doesn't matter what I do, because I am serving the covenant God. We don't get covenant God without master God. Remember, you can't parse someone's character. You can can parse someone's actions, but you can't parse someone's character. Um, All right, here's number two. The clock is running so much faster today for some reason, I don't understand. Um, God is forgiver. God is a forgiver, not a keeper. God is a forgiver, not a keeper. It says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, if covenant, Lord, and then master, Lord, Lord, who could stand? Covenant, Lord, if you kept a record of sins, master, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Um, you know, uh, I, got a, I got a speeding ticket last year on HempEck Lane, and... Um, and uh, it was, I wasn't, wasn't driving too fast for the road, except they told me school was in session. So I was doing, instead of 20, I was doing 40. Okay, so I'm doubling, I'm going 20 miles over the speed limit in a school zone. How many of the police officers don't like you when you do that? And... I was prepared for my answer because I'm up and down that road. I can't, I mean, I know I've had to be on that road a thousand times in 15, 16 years, right? So I'm like, sir, the elementary school has been out for a while now. There's nobody there. There's nothing there. He just said, it is one continuous school zone from start to finish. Even though I slowed down before the middle school was letting out, um, That was a $300 speeding ticket. We're gonna take an offering later today for that. The $300 speeding ticket. Now it didn't do, there was no use, you know, he had made up his mind. I know that if I started trying to defend my case to him, um, he was just gonna add stuff on. So I just let it go. But but I just paid the ticket. It's the first speeding ticket that I've gotten since college, okay? That's actually got me out of a few speeding tickets by saying that, but anyway. and but what if I would went to the judge to um, to argue that case, and what if the judge I got up there and he said, well, Mr. Weir, I see, um, Mr. Purday, you, you 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 were speeding. You went 20 miles over the speed limit. But let's, but let's not start there. Let's go back. Um, what I see here is at 17, I see this speeding ticket on Oakford Avenue, and then um, and then then I see this I see this one in College. Actually, Mr. Weir, what I see is a lot of them in college. And they're all over the place. I see some in Tennessee. I see some in Virginia. I see some in Maryland. I see some in New Jersey. And I said, well, can we just deal with the one that I'm, no, 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 we gotta go through all these first before we can get to that one. See, what this passage is telling us is God is a forgiver, not a keeper. Who could stand before a holy God for something that you wanted to repent over yesterday? If he was going, oh, yeah, we'll get to that one. We'll get to that one. But we we got, we got a few more just to kind of review. You know, the idea of forgive and forget is what we want someone else to do for us, not what we do for others. Forgiveness always starts with a decision, not an emotion, right? So when we forgive, we've got to let our heart catch up to our head. You can't forgive if you have wounds still open. Open wounds don't let you forgive. So you have to let, you you, you can forgive and then ask God to heal the open wound, and then it becomes a scar. And scars tell good stories, Scars tell good stories. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the scar. But you got to work through the wound and a beginning working through the wound is, I forgive you. I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't know why I'm going to deviate here for a second, but with husbands and wives, this becomes the sticking point so, so, so often. And it is, it is gut-wrenching to see the hardness of a spouse that will just say, "I'm done forgiven." There's been too much that's gone on. And and I know that if I had a back, if I had a a, a front seat to that 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, 30, I I probably would say, "Dude, he's right. Dude, she's right. There ain't no way." But I don't have all that history, so so it's so I can sit. And, and still say, I, I, I'm, I'm sure there is reason. But there is nothing better for you than a whole marriage. And the only way you're going to get there is to forgive and keep working through it. How, how is that humanly possible? Except it is what we receive from the character of God. This is the forgiveness we get from him. It would have been the judge sitting there and saying, Charlie, it's a great story. And I know you didn't mean to speed in that first half of handbag, but dude, given your record, although that record had already been covered, I'd paid those fines. God is a forgiver not a keeper. So well, God forgives and forgets. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have a control all delete. It's not like somehow he's an old senile man that's forgot what happened, you know, two, two years ago. It's what he does is he no longer holds that to our account. Yeah. So he goes to our record and there ain't anything there. Yep, clean, clean. All right, let's, let's deal with this one. See, if you don't believe that about God, you don't cry out to him in the depths. You're afraid of him in the depths. All right, let me see if I can get back on track. For the Christian, God doesn't see us through the lens of our past sin or our current weaknesses. He sees us through the righteousness of Christ. We are all on this pilgrimage in Christ-likeness. And what, but what he doesn't see, he doesn't see our stumble. He sees us through the image of the cross. We have the righteousness of Christ because it's been imputed, it's been given to us. So we stand, he stands. That's why he says he's gone behind the veil. He stands there in intercession for us. Here's the third one. He is, um, God is, uh, what did I say? God, he is worthy of the wait, worthy of the wait. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning, more than the watchful watchman wait for the morning. What did the watchmen do? The watchmen, they were night watchmen. So they would have looked over the city. They looked over the wall. They were doing watchmen-like things. The word for wait here, the root word carries this idea of, of waiting with not anxiousness, but waiting with hope and expectation. So I wait on the Lord. No one likes to wait Patient people don't like to wait. They just have gotten used to it in some way, right? How many t- lines do you get out of to get in longer lines? <laughs> right, no one likes to wait, all right? He's a, we wait on the Lord. It's not waiting. It's not anxiousness. It's not curiosity. It's not wondering what's going to happen. I wait in hopeful expectation of how he's going to do something. Right, yeah. And it's interesting, the watchmen, they waited for the morning, not just because their shift ended, Right, Because they would want their shift to end faster. Who doesn't want a shift to end faster? right? So, But they were watchmen, meaning they couldn't make the sun come up faster. Nothing they did about their job could rush the sun coming up faster. But they looked in hopeful expectation, and guess what? It still keeps coming up. Morning still comes. It came today. It'll come tomorrow. I don't have to work for that hope to come up. That sun's gonna come up. Have you ever gone on vacation and then did something really, really, like you had to get up real early and travel and do whatever because you wanted to see a sunrise somewhere? Did you ever do that, right? Did you ever, when the sun come up, go, oh, well, that was boring. That, that really missed my expectation. Um, oh, it's glorious. It comes up over a mountain or it comes up over a seascape or it comes up over something. You go, wow, that was amazing right because you you couldn't wait for the morning slap dab in the middle of the book of lamentations a book on lament we have this promise and his mercies are new every morning morning don't you feel better in the morning than you do at night is that just a mood thing a sun thing a is could it be that his mercies are fresh with us every morning. And the rest of our day does nothing but suck those mercies out of us. Right? Um, I, I learned this when, when, I didn't learn this as much when my mom died. When my dad died, then I have both parents gone, is when I really, really learned this of how to make it through a day under such heavy grieving loss. And it was, his mercies are new every morning. So how, how I ended up applying that, and Gene and I, we had to work through this together, that I would get up and my glass would be empty. That means whatever the day held, I was ready for. But when my glass filled up, it was full. It didn't matter, it didn't matter what filled it. It didn't matter how long it took to fill. All I knew was when it was full. And it was full, I couldn't make a decision on where to eat dinner. It didn't have to be a hard decision. It was done. And so we worked out where I would just say, honey, my glass is full. And she said, okay. And she'd take care of whatever had to be taken care of that would have been, would have been my responsibility that day. And the next morning I was like, okay, let's go again. Right? So, so his mercies are new every morning. Here says, I, we wait in hope. We wait in expectation for God as the watchman waits for sun, son, knowing it's gonna come. And when it changes then the way you wait and waiting isn't just this, this drudgery through the middle, it's a waiting and expectation for God to do something only God does because this is his character. This is his character. Um, all right, let's get to the, God's character four. God finishes everything fully. God finishes everything fully. Israel Now he turns his attention to Israel. Put your hope in the Lord. It's almost like David talks to himself, gets himself in the the right frame of mind, and then turns his attention to everybody else. All right? Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Put your hope in who? Put your hope in what? Put your hope in God who describes his faithfulness in one Hebrew word, hesed, hesed. It is his unfailing, steadfast love and grace. Unfailing, steadfast, unchanging. Listen, we call him a covenant God because his covenant is rooted in him. It's not rooted in us, okay? It's rooted in him. This is who he is. What I do does not change who he is. My failures doesn't change who he is. My shortcomings doesn't change who he is. This is who he is. So this is what he has. He has unfailing, steadfast love. That's a covenant. So he has that. So even when I go this direction, what David is saying is when I cry out, I can cry out in hope because he is who he is. And when when he redeems me, when he buys me back, it's full, it's not partial. It it, it doesn't come like, you know what, Kevin? This part of you, I'm all all in. I'm all in, I'll redeem that part of you. But this over here, Kevin, we, we we need to work through this. No, what God does is he fully redeems and it's in our redemption that we work through this. Does that make sense to you? My actions don't get anything different or more from God. But it's my cry out to God where He redeems me. It it takes my cry out to God. God will leave you in your mess. He most certainly will leave you in your mess. If you choose to be in a mess, He will leave you in your mess. If you choose to stay in your mess, He will leave you in your mess. I don't know what keeps us there. Misunderstanding, maybe. Um, For me, it would just be obstinance. But he won't leave you there when you cry out because of that discerning ear. Come on up, team. So, the purpose of Psalm 130 as this psalm of ascent to get deep inside of Israel on all these trips is that to remind people that the depths is a place we all visit, but not a place where we have to live. And that shift in that position will come when we cry out. Because when we cry out, we will connect to a God who has an attentive and discerning ear, is a forgiver, not a keeper, who is worthy of the weight and who finishes everything fully. And then these last four bullet points. God will not reject your cry, he will receive you. God will not remind you of your sin, he will redeem you. God responds to our cries with hope, you will not be disappointed. Your relationship with him will exceed your expectations. You can, we, can, we can know God. There's always more to know about God. We will never know everything there is to know about God. We will always know enough God in the moment when we need God. That's not a slide, that's just memorized. And God doesn't do anything halfway. Wholeness is found in him and him alone. Let me read Psalm 132 out of the message to kind of finish and then we'll move and respond. Help God. I've hit rock bottom, Master. Hear my cry for help. Listen hard. Open your ears. Listen to my cries for mercy. If you God kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. That's what you worship. That's why you're worshipped. I pray to God, my life a prayer and wait for what he'll say and do. My life is on the line before God. My Lord waiting and watching till morning, waiting and watching till morning. O oh, Israel, wait and watch for God. With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous redemption. No doubt about it, he'll redeem Israel. He will buy Israel back from captivity to sin. This morning... The Father is attentive to your cry. Will you cry out? Is the depth's circumstance created? Is the depth's decisions created? Regardless of what has created the distance, he is attentive to our cry. If you've hit rock bottom, cry out. If you have walked away, cry out and in doing so this hopeful expectation of what he would do, let that drive you, so whether that's going to be from your seat today, whether that's going to be in the altar today, whether that's going to be a communion today, but what I know, Godly, don't every time we get together this many people in a room, people are in the depths and so when you have an invitation to cry out do it (laughs) I mean I ran over in the first service kind of like I'm doing now and people responded fine but no one responded and I didn't have the energy in the first service to tell people oh tell the truth so I might not have the energy in a few minutes I'm going to tell you right now tell the truth you're the one who wins with this you don't, have, you don't have to walk in and walk out carrying the same stuff. Well, I don't know what people think when I go to the altar. I'll tell you what they're thinking about. They're thinking about why they're not going to the altar. We're all middle schoolers at heart. We think everybody's thinking about us. And in fact, all of us are thinking about ourselves. Okay, so, so, so drop that. So Father, in this moment of time, Lord, I know That there are people in the depths, below sea level, more distance than's necessary between you and them. And what you was drilling into Israel is you can always cry out to me. So in this moment, Lord, will you hear our cries in your name? invite you to stand invite you to move again communes on my left and right someone will link faith with you and lend you some faith if you decide to come to the altar today we hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message again to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church find us online at gatewayfranklin.com thanks for joining us today